Some of you need to tell your face to smile. You can't smile at that. Something's wrong on the inside. Amen. I'm telling you. I was thinking about, hey, listen, every church, every church needs, and by the way, you're an important part of this church. Whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whether you're married with children, whether you're elderly, whatever. But every church needs, they, we, we need the older folks for wisdom, and we need young folks like that to make us smile and bring joy. Amen. And uh, praise the Lord. Thank you for that, Brother Eric and Miss Tasha. You know what? If we're going to have any sort of sermon, I'm going to need my sermon over there. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. I don't have it completely committed to memory. Amen. Oh, our last message, which was several weeks ago now, obviously we had uh, Brother uh, Treadway with us uh, for two Sunday nights, and then, of course, Pastor Brent. I heard Pastor Brent preach long last week, and there was a revolt, amen, that people weren't happy about that. <laughs> but I preached uh, several weeks ago on, out of Psalm chapter 62 on great expectations, and the fact is, from the Scriptures, we have great expectations of deliverance, of de God's defense, and God's dividends, that God will righteously reward His saints and sinners accordingly. Amen? And uh, so, uh, in Psalm 66 here, we're going to get right into it, and then I'll have a bit of an introduction as we get out of the context here, but there's no uh, real consensus as to the earthly writer. Sometimes it'll say right there in the psalm, a psalm of David or a psalm of Asaph. And this is one that there's no uh, consensus as far as uh, the writer or the occasion. But what is without dispute in this psalm, just to the casual reader, is the purpose of the psalm. And the purpose of the psalm, and that is simply the praise of Almighty God for His wonderful works in people's lives. That's what it's all about. This psalm is all about. Whether they be public, and, and we'll look at that, or personal. And uh, so the Holy Spirit uh, exhorts us uh, to several things here. The first thing He exhorts us toward is singing. Singing. If you look at verses 1 through 4, it says, Make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Verse 2, first word, church. Sing, Sing forth the honor of His name. If you jump down to verse 4, it says, All the earth shall worship thee and shall sing unto thee. They shall sing thy, to thy name. I'll tell you what, I cannot wait. I'm going to. I'm willing to. Amen. Somebody said everybody wants to go to heaven, just not today. Amen. And, uh, but when we hear that heavenly choir, Miss Judy, oh my goodness, and every voice of, uh, of the redeemed sings, Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Can you imagine what that's going to sound like? If, if you've ever been around a larger choir, I remember uh, uh, Pastor Alex being out in uh, uh, um, Santa Clara, and they sung um, uh, Worthy is the Lamb. Oh, and the hair on the back of my neck stood up, and I said, we're going to sing that one day. Amen. And so here, the psalmist exhorts us uh, to singing. And can I say this? How, listen, oh, how God's people ought to sing. 
It doesn't matter if you can sing. What you should have is a heart that wants to sing because you have something to sing about. Again, I've quoted old Al Smith. He was Lee Robertson's song leader, and uh, he's on BBN. I love his little pieces, uh, 815, I think, on Sunday mornings about hymns and hymn stories. You'd really enjoy that, uh, Brother Town. But he said this, people that can sing and won't sing ought to be sent to sing, sing, and made to sing. Amen. I like that. You sh- Listen, we got something to sing about. Amen. Uh, we got something to break. Nothing, nothing bothers me more than during singing time when people are like, that, that when is this going to be over attitude? I'll tell you what, in heaven, you're not going to have that attitude. And, and by the way, you know when it's going to be over in heaven? Never. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, so there's the scope of the singing in verses 1 and 4. If you look there, it says, make a joyful noise unto God, all ye lands. Then in verse 4, it says, all the earth. So the, the scope of the singing there. But then the substance of the singing. Why, why should we sing unto the Lord? What's He done? Well, look at verses 2 and 3. Sing forth the honor of His name. Hey, there's none other name given under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. That's worth singing about right there. But then it also uh, says there, in, in, it says, make His praise glorious. How terrible that, that word can be translated awesome. Awesome. I remember a time when that word awesome was very overused. Everything was awesome. Listen, only God's awesome. And it says here, how terrible or awesome art thou in thy works. Through the greatness of thy power, thine enemies submit themselves unto thee. You know, we talk about our singing. Our singing is voluntary. One day there's coming a day when every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is God to the glory of God the Father. Amen? So, he exhorts us to singing. Then he exhorts us to seeing in verses 5 through 7. Not only singing, but seeing. He says there in verse 5, come and what? See the works of God. And so in verse 5, we see an invitation. An invitation. By the way, uh, that invitation is very similar to what Jesus said. Remember there in uh, John chapter 1? I think it was uh, uh, Nathaniel said, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? <laughs> Remember that? And what they say? Come and see. Come and see for you. I, I like this. This idea here is take a look. Take a look. You know, you, you get a glimpse of Jesus. One look's enough. Now I'm talking about the look of faith, by the way. Amen. So there's an invitation. And then in verse 6, there's an illustration. Not only an invitation, but an illustration. It says, he turned the sea into dry land. Talking about the works of God, how awesome he is toward the children of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They went through the flood on foot. So the illustration he gives here is not only the parting of the Red Sea, but the parting of the Jordan River. God did that twice. I don't know about you, but that is one of the more awesome things you will find in the Bible. God withholding water. Think about how long it must have taken the Israelites to walk across. Long time, not just in a minute. God held it all back, and then it all came down on the Egyptians, and then it all came back after they got done on the Jordan River. So the illustration, but then there's some instruction in verse 7. 
He says there in verse number 7, he, that rule, or he ruleth by his power forever, his eyes behold the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. He, he in essence, is saying here uh, to the rebellious, don't. The in- by the way, thank God, I think about Mother's Day. Thank God for mothers and fathers that say don't. Don't. Not. Don't do that. I always, I always go back and I think, of, how many of you remember that old movie, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Anybody remember that? Remember those rotten kids? Each one of them was rotten except for one. And there's that one kid that says, hey, I'm going to do this. And, and Willy Wonka says, no, stop, don't. <laughs> yes, that, that, just that sarcastic tone. Like, if your mother or father would have said, no, stop, don't, you wouldn't, amen. And uh, here, the instruction that, that the psalmist is giving, he said, if you're thinking about rebelling against the all-powerful God, don't. So, the seeing, the singing. Interesting here, in verses 8 through 12, we see the exhortation towards suffering. Suffering. In two different kinds, uh, the, the way the word is used here. Uh, first of all, we see God's protecting uh, in, in there. And it, that's in verse number 8 and 9 there. It says, Oh, bless ye people, make the voice of His praise heard, which holdeth our, uh, our soul in life. And next word, church. Suffereth our feet, uh, suffer not our feet to be moved. So this is kind of a different use of the word suffering. It means to permit. And in this case, it means not to permit. And that is simply this. The people of God are are experiencing the long-suffering protection of God. What does he say there? He says, he says that he suffered not our feet to be moved. Oh, how God protected Israel time and time and time again. Did he not? Amen. So this idea of suffering, the long-suffering of God in protection. But then if you look at verses 10 and 12, it moves to a different type of suffering. It says, for thou, O God, hast proved us. So we see the the, uh, long-suffering of God in protection, but here we see the suffering of God's people in proving. Keep reading there in verse 11. Thou broughtest into the what? The net. Thou laidest affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water, but thou broughtest us into a wealthy place. What do we see here? We see, uh, we see that they, are, they, they give us the idea of praising God for the sufferings that He permits in our life. Now, I don't know about you, I still haven't graduated to that master's class in praising God for suffering. I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. And again, the older we get, the more of these kind of lessons we learn. And that is simply this. Affliction humbles us. Sometimes that's exactly what we need. Humility. But it's rare that we discipline ourselves to break forth in praise to God when we're being afflicted, when affliction is upon us. Uh, I think about, I believe it's Psalm 119.71, where uh, David, the, the psalmist there in Psalm 119, says, it is good for me that I've been afflicted, that I might learn thy statutes. 
And again, it's, it's a rare uh, thing here, but uh, the, the whole psalm is about praise. So praise God uh, in singing, praise God in seeing, praise God in suffering. And all of that leads to, verses 13 through 15, praising God in sacrificing. What does he say there in verse 13? He said, I will go into thy house with what? Burnt offerings. Okay? He's talking about his sacrifices. And I like what he says here. Hey, young people, catch this. I will pay thee my vows, which my lips have uttered, and my mouth has spoken when I was in trouble. Oh, God, if you'll get me out of this, I will fill in the blank. Anybody ever heard the story? My wife uh, um, got the book of a uh, young man named Louis Zamperini. You probably have and didn't know it. Louis Zamperini was uh, uh, on a bomber in World War II. And, uh, and they were flying over the vastness of the Pacific. And they had engine trouble. And they crashed. And him and two others survived the crash blew up rafts in the middle of nowhere. Nobody knew where they were. And uh, I think one eventually died from his wounds. And him and another one, they just had, they had a little bit of chocolate, just a little bit of drinking water, and, and a lot of sharks around them. And... Uh, they, they, survived. they actually survived. They, they set a new record for days at sea. And, and they, of course, they, they would catch fish and, you know, gut them and eat them and all that. And then they got picked up by a Japanese battleship and became prisoners of war. And I, I heard a stat uh, yesterday. I'm, I'm in this another book right now, I'm reading just a, a terrible atrocities of the Japanese that one in 25 American prisoners died under German hands. One in three in Japanese hands. So they became Japanese prisoners and were so awful and ill-treated. And Louis Zamperini said, God, if you'll get me out of this, I'll serve you. The rest of my days. And he did survive. He survived the war. He survived the Japanese, several Japanese POW camps. And he became a lecturer with a man named Billy Graham. And they made a, they made a movie about his life called Unbroken, based on the book by Laura Hillebrand, Unbroken. How many people have made vows to God and then as soon as things went well, by the way, probably all of us. Here, I, I like the fact that it mentions that specifically. The psalmist says, hey, look, I remember what I said to you when I was in affliction and in trouble, and I made some promises to you. I want to let you know, God, I'm going to keep those. I'm, I'm going to bring forth my sacrifices. I'm going to bring forth my offering. So sacrificing, suffering, seeing, singing, and then Look at verse 16 with me, and it really goes down through verse number 20, but this idea of speaking. Praising God by speaking. What's he say there? He says, come and hear 
all ye that fear the Lord, and I will declare what my, what, uh, I'm sorry, uh, I will declare what he hath done for my soul. You know, there's a sister verse in Psalm 107, verse 2. It says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so. I like this quote by Graham Scroggy. He he pastored the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London after Spurgeon and through World War II. He's a tremendous writer. He said this, He has never been greatly blessed who can refrain from blazing it abroad. A full heart will not allow of locked lips. Boy, that's true. You know, I got thinking about, as I was preparing this message, I said, how can, I, how can I drive this home? How, how, can I, how can I illustrate this to the church to, to really try to get you to understand this? And then we'll get into the points. They're so simple. How many of you were part of our church five years ago? Raise your hand. Okay. About half. During that time, it was a wonderful time. God, God was working. Uh, our, our staff was completely different, which is amazing to think about. And uh, our pastoral staff, me and Miss Kim have been working together for a decade now. Glory to God. Amen. And Miss Binninger too. Amen. But what happened was um, we had lost a precious soul in our church named Morris Taverney. We loved, we loved, more. it doesn't seem right, Brother Jim, to call him Morris without saying Noel after it, because they were Morris and Noel, and they were married 60 years. Noel had passed away in 2014, and, and she, she was a hoot. Noel was just a, those of you that remember, you know, she, she called me one time. She, she, they said, you need to get to the hospital. Mrs. Taverney, she had that oxygen trouble with her lungs and said, you need to get to the hospital. So I literally was mowing my grass and I just turned off the mower, Brother John, and I went to the hospital. I, you know, I could have gone in, taken a quick shower and put a suit on. So I, I went in my, my regular clothes. Man, did she chew me out. She chewed me out. Not really chewed me out. She goes, she goes what's this? And I said, you said to come right away. I thought you were dying. I didn't know you were going to chew me out. Amen. And uh, we, she, she, I'll never forget. She, it, it, she had that oxygen and she came to me and brother, brother Apple and she pulled me. She was, one, she was one of those, forgive me, several of you ladies could do this to me too, but not too many ladies could say to their pastor. Amen. And I go like this, like I'm a little kid again. Amen. And she said to me, you need to start saving for retirement. And I, I said, I know. <laughs> I said, I'm, I'm in the ministry and, and you know, we, 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 we give to missions, amen. And, and we just, and, and I know she's right, by the way. It's five years later, and I, or eight years later, and I still know she's right. And I'm still no closer to retiring than I ever will be. My retirement plan is this, welcome to Walmart. My name's Rich. How may I help you? <laughs> So, she had passed away in 2014, and by the way, it was amazing, some of you remember, we thought it was going to be Morris. He had that shunt and, and, and had swelling on his brain, and, and, uh, and he soldiered on for those three years, and, and it was so, they were so attached. And then Brother Morris passed away, and by the way, the, goal, the basketball hoops in our gym are 
dedicated in memory of Morris. And Morris had passed away, and it was about, probably about six months later, and we were uh, still deciding what we were going to do with that uh, money that had come in for him. And by the way, your hymnals are in, in memory of Noel. If you look at your hymnals, it says in, in memory of Noel Taverni. That was what their, her, their boys did for them. And, and so about six months later, the, uh, their, the boys who are older than I am, they're in their 60s, they, they called me and they said, Pastor, we'd like to talk to you. And uh, I said, okay. And, and Mrs. Hurth, I thought they wanted to talk about that issue, about what, what they wanted to do with the monies that had come in for their dad. And so we talked, and they said, Pastor, we just we want to talk to you about something really special. And we believe it'd be really special. We believe it'd be really special to our parents. And I was like, oh. Okay, I'm, I'm still so clueless, I am. Many times I'm that way. And uh, they said, we don't think anything would make our parents any happier than if you would consider buying their property on Easton Road. Now, they owned 161 acres. I'm a pastor. Uh, I think we all just had a business meeting, and we see the line where it says pastor's salary, amen? Um, Brother Hutchins, it doesn't add up to 161 acres, and I was kind of like, uh, and they said, hold on, and this is why even a fool when he holdeth his peace is counted wise, amen? <laughs> Many times, just shut up, amen, and let people talk, and they said, what we've done is said, we've already surveyed out seven acres with the pond and barn and just a place where your kids can grow up. Now, first of all, I was so moved by that, that they would think of me that way and think of our family that way. But then, and I promise you, ladies and gentlemen, I got large illustration and just a few points tonight. It still might as well have been, Brother Salmon's, a million dollars. I didn't have that. I didn't have, and so they, they told us what the price was, and it was an absolute steal, but I still didn't have it. But I said, well, well, we'll begin looking into it. They said, it is not going on the market. It is not for sale to anybody else. If, you, you know, down the road you realize you can't do it, just let us know, and then we'll do all that. I said, okay. So you're going to talk about a best-case scenario. You don't have to fight with anybody. You don't have to... So, Carrie and I began to investigate the process of getting a loan. We had a house here in town that the church provided for us for nine years. We, by the way, we loved that house. It was our home. But we had already recognized a couple of years down the road it was going to need a roof. And you say, how did you recognize that? I was mowing grass and a shingle hit me in the head, amen. And, you know, I knew it was probably about time to replace the roof, amen. And... Well, but now, Brother Apple, if we're going to take on a new mortgage, we have to sell our home right away. I'll never forget at the time, my wife scraping wallpaper. There was the most ungodly wallpaper in that house, old Victorian house. I don't know how many sheets it had, and, but then I remember people like Danny Wald, Mark Messer coming over and helping us with some of the more delicate work. And I'll never forget uh, Uncle Joe. Some of you remember Uncle Joe. 
Uncle Joe put up half the money for, to replace our roof. He asked the deacons if they would send a letter out to everybody. And if folks wanted to give to that, they could. And we got that roof replaced, and we had, we had a buyer, and then they backed out, and then we had another buyer, and we were at the title company. We had to be there before 5. It was closing, and we ended up leaving there. I think it was like 9 o'clock. But it got signed and got sold. But we still had to buy the other place. I remember going and talking to a loan officer, and they said, uh, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. I've been a pastor for almost 10 years here in town. And before that, I was in the aerospace industry. They said, uh, uh, okay, uh, how much money are you going to be putting down? I'm sorry. And then, then Miss Lori, she stopped and said, hang on a minute. Let me look into something. And she looked into something. I think what's in the city, it's called an FHA loan. But in the country, it's called an RD loan which is rural development. It's the idea of getting some people out of, the city, out of the congestion of the city into the country, and it's a very low down payment loan. And, and let me tell you how low it was, about that much. And she, she said, you're approved up to such and such an amount, and we began to work through the process. And then five years ago, they called us and said, everything's done. All you got to do is come in and start signing about 150 documents, amen. <laughs> and I remember the funniest thing was when I looked at the amortization and I, I looked at the last payment date on the mortgage and I was like, man, I'm going to be old <laughs> if I live that long, amen. And I remember back during, during all of that, I remember back there was precious people along the way that helped us here and encouraged us here. The Ewalds aren't here tonight. They were such a, such a help in the, the business end of those things. And Brother Horsch, you know, remember Brother Horsch, Brother, Brother Horsch would say, Pastor, it's God's will for you to have this. And I would like, okay. <laughs> just, you know how forceful Brother Horsch was in those things. He, he just, he said, I believe, and, and I think about that. And you know what? I've told, I don't know if I've ever told the church this story. But I've told several preachers that have come out to our home and we've walked the property and stuff. And this is what I said, Brother Merrill. God did it. God did it. The Lord hath done great things for us whereof we are glad. Look at the text with me in verse 16. Look at it again. What's it say? It says, come and hear. This speaking is implied here. It's implied that somebody is speaking. Hey, listen to this is really what he's saying. And all ye that fear God, I believe that's us tonight. I believe that's this crowd tonight. All ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Hey, I thank God for that house, but one day that house is going to burn up. I thank God for that property, but one day that property is going to burn up. Can I give you seven things tonight that he hath done for my soul? Number one, he saved me. 
He saved me. All those years ago there, the Bible says in Romans 10, 13, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. He saved me. Hey, it's high time that Christians got back to making a big deal about salvation. Maybe the reason why the world doesn't care at all is because we don't have any life in us about our salvation. We're not interested in discussing it with people. Hey, listen, ladies and gentlemen, he saved me. Uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, for by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not, not of works, lest any man should boast. Brother Merklinger, I couldn't save myself. I knew that a long time ago. I knew my sin debt was high, and my funds to pay it was low, and you know what? I called upon him and asked him, and he saved me. Number two, that very moment that he saved me, you know what else he did? He sanctified me. You say, what's that mean? Go with me over to, uh, let's look at uh, 1 Corinthians. Oh, no, you know what? Go, go to Acts. Go to Acts chapter uh, 26. Acts chapter 26. Move around our Bibles a little bit tonight. Acts chapter 26. Declaring divine doings. He saved me, first of all. Acts chapter 26, look at it with me, verse 18. What a great verse. Probably if you have a red-letter Bible, uh, some of this is in red uh, here in Acts chapter 26, verse 18. Boy, this is the missionary verse right here. He says there in verse 17, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom I now send thee. What's the purpose that he's sending them? To open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among them which are what? Sanctified by faith. Let me tell you something. What happened to you, young people, the moment that you trusted Christ, whether you were 5 or 15 or 55, what happened was He set you apart. He, it's, it says that in 1 Corinthians 1-2. It says that in 1 Corinthians 6-11. Them that are sanctified. Listen, uh, I think about salvation. It costs God separation from His only begotten Son. It costs Jesus untold suffering. But it costs you and I nothing. He saved us, yes. But the moment that He saved me, He also set me apart from sin and from suffering and for His glory and for His work forever. Hey, that's something worth telling people about. I'm sanctified. I've been set apart by God. By the way, remember that. When you scroll through some posts, remember that when you're watching the TV. You're a sanctified vessel. You're set apart for God. Ye are not your own. You're bought with a price, the Bible says. He saved me. He sanctified me. Yeah, I like this. Go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians 1. Right after Galatians 6 in your Bible is Ephesians 1. I'll praise God and declare what He has done. He saved me. He sanctified me. Look at verse 13 of chapter 1. Are we there? Say amen. amen. 
in whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that ye believed, ye were what? Sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. He saved me, He sanctified me, He sealed me. In the Bible times, the seal had to do with two things. It had to do with identification of the owner and the protection of the owner. Remember when they uh, falsely, uh, uh, they, they tried to have all the witnesses against Jesus, and then they rolled the stone over the tomb and they sealed it with the Roman seal. To break that seal was to take on all of Rome. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen. The moment you got saved, the moment you got sanctified, you got sealed. And that is simply, that is is the identifying mark as to whether you are truly a Christian or not. One, two, three, pray after me doesn't mean you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit living on the inside means you're a Christian. And You say, boy, I don't know about that. Okay, let me ask you a question. Each of us struggles with sin, and all God's people said. Amen. When you sin, do you feel bad about it? Because if you don't, it's probably because the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside you. Because I remember what it was, Brother Stark, to sin freely before I was saved. Yeah. Didn't bother me at all. Didn't bother me at all. Then I got saved. And then I call it holy heartburn. Remember, Brother Merklinger, you, you sin, maybe you, you, you say something you shouldn't, you maybe lose your temper or whatever, and the Holy Spirit bothers you about it on the inside. You know why? Because you're sealed. You know what, that, that, that seal, it's a seal of ownership. You belong to God now. You belong to By the way, that's the most wonderful thing, knowing that when, I want to do a series on prophecy in the fall, Lord willing, the most wonderful thing, knowing that when the trumpet sounds, because you're sealed with the Spirit, you're going. You're, you're, forgive me, your ticket's been paid, your reservation's all set. Amen. And Miss Heidi, there won't be any delays. Hallelujah for that. Amen. <laughs> sealed, sanctified, saved. What else did he do? Oh, John chapter 10, please. John ch- chapter 10. Come and hear, all ye that fear God, and I will declare what He hath done for my soul. He saved me. He sanctified me. He sealed me. John chapter 10. Verse 28, please. What's He say here? I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. You know what else he did? When he saved me and sanctified me and sealed me, he secured me. He secured me. I feel bad. There there, there are Christians who do not believe in eternal security. They do not believe. And and by the way, some of them have serious reservations that they're they're not just being shallow. They they come to some tough scriptures and they they lean the other way. But I want to tell you this, ladies and gentlemen. There there are people who have a false salvation who are never saved. Absolutely right. But I want to tell you this. If you have sincerely trusted Christ, you've repented, you've turned to Christ, 
My wife's favorite verses, again, I was talking to my boys about life verses, and I said, you know, I love your mom's favorite verses. I say, what's that? Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Listen, the moment He saved you, the moment He sanctified you, the moment He sealed you, He secured you. You are in His hand, and no man is able to get out of His hand, and that includes you, man or woman, mankind. It doesn't say you can't get yourself out of his hand. No, it says no man's able to get you out of his hand, including you. Secured. By the way, that's not, I mentioned this in Sunday school, that's not an excuse to, to just casually sin. But the opposite, because I completely belong to him, rather it is an incentive to love him and serve him with all my heart. Look at all that he's done for me. He saved me, He sanctified me, He sealed me, He secured me. Oh, I like this. Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. I hope you're bouncing around to these scriptures. I hope, I, I, honestly, I hope you're dialed in tonight. I, I, can't, I, I can't tell. I never can look into somebody's heart, but... I think we need to focus on more of these things in our lives and declare what great things He hath done for us. He secured me. He sealed me. He sanctified me. He saved me. Matthew 11, verse 28, please, if you look at it there. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Say, what do you see here, Pastor? I'll tell you what I see. I see He supports me. You know what He would say in 1 Peter 5, 7? Casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Let me just tell you three, three ways He supports me. Supports me with His power. Jesus said to His disciples before He went off the scene, He said, all power is given unto me in heaven and earth. As He's getting ready to send Him out. He support, listen, He supports us with His power. That's the same power that created everything that is, ladies and gentlemen. That power supports us. But not only His power, but His presence. Remember, because you're sanctified and because you're sealed, the Holy Spirit is never going to leave you. And we get that beautiful verse in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let all things be done without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. For He hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. When everybody forsakes you, God never will. He supports me with His presence. He supports me with His power. Ladies and gentlemen, He supports me with His provision in my life. Each one of us could go back. We could have a testimony time of, of a time when you had a need. God did it. God did it. You rem I remember being in Bible college. And getting there, Carrie and I, we were young, and, and we, we shared a U-Haul with another couple that, that came out, and we, we emptied that thing out, and, and we were staying in an, in an attic of a house. It was a finished attic, and, and uh, the, the owners 
uh, were also students at Midwestern, and then they came to us. We hadn't been there but a couple of weeks, and they came to us, and they said, hey, we're, we're not going back to school. We're moving back out to our area in Buffalo, and if you'd like to take over the rent, you, you're more than welcome to. Here's the, you know, the owner of the house's name and whatnot. Miss Maria, we just got there. It, it cost us all that we had to get there. And then we had to register for school and all that, so we had about this much money, you know. Yeah. We, we were living on promises, amen, hallelujah. And they, they don't feed as well as dollars do. We had some folks help us here and there, but I remember thinking, well, we can't afford the rent. And we began to say, God, you know, you know we have a need here. You know, you brought us here. You wouldn't have brought us here if you wanted us to just starve to death out here. And I remember each day a, a friend of mine and I would go to the Lakin Chapel and we'd go to the altar steps after our last class and we'd go to that uh, altar and we'd pray and we'd cry out to God for our needs. And wouldn't you know it, that the time that the rent was due, the rent was $450. Wow. And we didn't get $450. We got over $1,000 in the mail. Just, uh, there was a, a bit of a 401k that I didn't even know I had. Brother Jim said, hey, you know, you, when you left this job, this, you didn't sign up for this, so you get this disbursement check. And I was like, oh. And I'll tell you what. All I was reminded that there's a God in heaven that supports us. And, and every one of us could share a story similar to that when you had a specific need. I think about you, Miss Barbara, that text you sent me a couple weeks back. It said, I just want to let you know, Miss Barbara sent me a text. I just want to let you know God has always met all my needs. Love that. You know what? He supports me. That's worth telling somebody about. Amen. That, that's one of his, his great doings in our lives. He supports me. He secured me. He sealed me. He sanctified me. He saved me. Oh, this one is not going to be popular with the younger crowd. Hebrews chapter 12. <laughs> Again, this has to do with ownership. This next one. Hebrews chapter 12. I like to hear those leaves rustling in the wind, amen? Just as long as they don't rustle too long, then I think you don't know where Hebrews is, amen? <laughs> yeah, it's in the Bible. Good, good call there, Brother Merrill, amen? That's a winning point right there. Look at verse 5 of Hebrews 12. And ye forgotten the exhortation which speaketh as to you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we had fathers of our flesh which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much more rather be in subjection unto the Father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. 
but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness to them which are exercised thereby. He saved me, he sanctified me, he sealed me, he secured me, he supports me. He spanks me. He spanks me. I, I remember times where my father wore me out. And I, I will say this first and foremost, I got, and I don't know why this is, this seems to be a generational thing. Maybe it's, maybe it's our, our minds are just, <laughs> we, we, we have this cognitive disconnect where we don't remember <laughs> these things. But my father told me that his father spanked him way more than he ever spanked me. And I've told my children I spanked them way less than they ever, that I ever, but I tell you this, Miss Judy, and this is the gospel truth on a stack of Bibles I got it, but I didn't get it nearly as much as I deserved. Yeah. That I know. Here's what I know. If God never spanks you, and by the way, he used, I've always said this, he uses three different methods of spanking. The first thing he wants to use is the Word. That's the best way to get a spanking from God. Right. Read the Word, get convicted, repent. But if, he, if the word doesn't work, he can use the woodshed in your life. He can bring circumstances and reversals into your life to bring you to him. He is fully able to do that. And then if neither of those things work and you're just not going to serve God, but you are truly his child, he can use the wooden box. He can go from the word to the woodshed to the wooden box and take you home early. The Bible says in 1 John, there is a sin unto death where God says, enough, you're coming home. You're not bringing me any glory. You ought to be glad. Rejoice in your heart that God spanks you. Because it means you're his. If he never spanks you, you're probably not his. Now, he wants you to be his, but just like I have said so many times, Brother Apple, I've been out at the store and seen kids pitching a candy aisle fit. You know, the mother looks up and says, I just don't know what to do. And I say, I do! <laughs> but Brother Jim, you don't get to spank children that aren't yours. We tell our nursery workers that. You may want to give them a swat, but they're not yours. You're not allowed. You got to call mom. You got to call dad. Listen, God does not spank children that aren't his. You never get convicted about sin. You never are bothered by it. I'd examine yourself whether you be in the faith. Because I know this. He's spanked me countless times. And I haven't always been exercised by it. Sometimes he had to spank me again, Pastor Alex. Amen. But if we'll, that last verse is such a great verse. It profits those who are exercised by the chastening. We get what God is doing. In our, okay, God, I'm foolish. I'm, forgive me. I'm wrong. He spanks me. He supports me. He secured me. He sealed me. He sanctified me. He saved me. Lastly, one day soon, he's coming to snatch me. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in your Bibles. We'll close with this scripture tonight. What a, what a, what a scripture to close with. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 really begins up in verse number 13. If you look at it there, 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, but I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, concerning those that have died, that ye sorrow not even as others which had no hope. Part of the reason for the writing of Thessalonians was some bad doctrine had come, come and crept into the church, and it was simply this, that Jesus had already returned. And so Paul says, let me clear this up. Those that are asleep, those people that have died in Christ, don't sorrow as those which have no hope. He didn't, by the way, he didn't say don't sorrow. We all sorrow for the people we've loved and missed. But he said, don't be like those people that don't have any hope. You have hope. And he says in verse number 14, he tells us what that hope is based on. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that, and all God's people said, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you, and I love this, he said, I'm not just giving you my opinion here, this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or come before them which are asleep. And then he says this, for the Lord himself, not another, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus Christ himself, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together. That's that word, harpazo. It means to seize, to catch away, to pluck, to pull by force. Shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. One day soon, ladies and gentlemen, That, that divine doing I'm going to experience is gravity and I aren't going to be friends anymore. We're not going to be under that. He's going to snatch us away. Whisk, whisk his bride away for a thousand year honeymoon. Listen. Come and hear all ye that fear God and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Can I just encourage you tonight? Here's the application. When's the last time you shared how good God has been to you with somebody who needs to hear it? Now that can be a discouraged saint, but for most of us, that's a lost sinner. He needs to hear that. You say, well, what if they argue with me? They can't argue with what God has done in your life. They can minimize it, they can dismiss it, but you and I both know God did that in your life. God did that in my life. You know, the devil will shut us up any way he can. Right. I, I walked away from this text tonight thinking, you know what, I like what Brother Becker says. Again, pray for Brother Becker, he's supposed to travel this week, not feeling well, but when he asked Brother Jeff, how you doing? He says, better than I deserve. You know what he's saying, Brother Jeff? God's been good to me. God's been good to me. He's been good to you. Has he not? Yeah. Let's tell somebody about it. Amen. Let's tell somebody about him this week. Father.